I have read Nehemiah several times. I've studied it. I've preached on it. I totally forgot that Nehemiah did all that during a famine. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in a famine in the land of Israel. The Jewish people returned to Israel to reclaim their ancient land, reclaim their ancient homes, and protect the, the city of Jerusalem by rebuilding the walls. But the, there was a famine going on, so people were starving to death. So they began to sell and mortgage their ancient grand, great-grandparents' home and land. This was what God gave to the people of Israel, was the land of Israel, but they couldn't afford to own it, so they had to sell it. And here's the problem. They were selling it to other Jews that were then charging an extremely high interest and taxes on the, their other Jewish brothers. So Nehemiah chapter 5, the word gets to Nehemiah in, in chapter 5, and he's totally upset. There were those who said, with our sons and daughters, they were many, let us get grain that we might eat and keep alive. There were also those that said, dude, we've been mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses just so we can get some grain because of this famine. There were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. So now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, meaning other Jewish people own me. My children are like their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. In fact, some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to do anything about it, for other men have our fields and vineyards. So verse 8 is when Nehemiah responds. He says, I was very angry when I heard the outcry of the people and I heard their words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the other nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest from your brothers. Now let's just stop there and talk about this because he goes on and I'm just going to summarize it. Nehemiah called all the people together and then he heard the cry of the people and then he rebuked those that were charging high interest on other Jewish people. He said, you're causing them to starve. They're selling their own children into slavery just so that they can, these are not strangers. These are your brothers in the flesh other Jewish people, and you're, you're stealing their land from them and charging interest. So he rebukes them, and here's what Nehemiah does. He calls them back to family. He calls them back to community. He said, we're all Jews trying to rebuild this land. We've got to look out for each other and protect each other. What's the point? In a time of famine, when things are difficult in society, family comes first. We look out for each other. We don't do what's best for me. We do what's best for we. And in the end times, I don't know what's going to come, but the family of God needs to circle the wagons and protect one another. That was a good place to clap. Look at Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5. The church is exploding. God is pouring out his Holy Spirit. Signs, wonders, miracles, healings. Thousands of people are putting their faith in Jesus. The church is, is growing super quickly. And the people realize we have a lot of widows. We have a lot of orphans. We have a lot of poor people. So those that had money, those that had influence, they began to sell land and sell houses, donate the money to the church so that everybody in the family of believers would have all of their needs met and that nobody would go hungry. I don't know what crazy thing is going to happen in the world next, but I know that if we stick together, we'll get through it no matter what. We'll get through it as a family and as a church family. I've never been more proud of Uncommon Church than last year during Snowmageddon in the Valentine's Day ice storm. When, if you're not from around here, we lost power, we lost water, homes had, were destroyed in our church because pipes burst in the freeze. 
But the way that you guys loved each other and responded and opened up your doors and, and had people sleeping on your couch and, 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 and helping to clean out people's homes and, and donating water to each other made, made me so proud of you. And I thought, you know, if the end times come, no matter what happens when the, when the end time poo hits the end time fan, Uncommon Church is going to be fine because of the way we love each other. But this is why it's so important to be a part of the church family and not just watching it online, not just watching from the distance. This is why it's so important that you don't just attend this church, you plug into this church. People need to know your name. Like, yeah, we want you to check in on the app and say, hey, I was here, so our pastors know if you're here or not. But I, if you skip a Sunday, I want the person sitting next to you to go, hey, where's Rick? Where's Mary? Where's Susan? And they're going to be texting you in the middle of worship. Like, hey, I'm in church. Where are you? I'm like, oh, well, I'm over at grandma's house for a summer vacation. Okay, cool. I love you. See you next week. That's what church family does. If nobody knows your name in this church, you're not a part of this church. You're just observing this church. Today is growth track one. I want you to stay for one hour after this church with Josie and I, and we're going to get you plugged into this church family in growth track one. It's right across that hallway. Follow the signs for growth track. Today is your day to stop watching and get plugged into this church family. The second thing you can do is to join a group. You groups are, are, are uncommon groups that meet during the week, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So these are groups where men's groups and women's groups and marriage groups and cycling groups, these cards are around and there's a QR code. I want you to go to the website and pick a group and plug into a summer you group. I want people to learn your name. I want people to serve on a dream team with you, on the worship team, on the usher team, on the tech team, on the welcome team, on the kids team, on the prayer team. These are other men and women that you build relationships with in the church. So if you're power goes out, if your home is flooded, you, you put a text out to your, your dream team and be like, hey, does anybody got a couch I can sleep on? My, my house flooded. And like everybody's like, what can we do to help? You will not be alone because the way that we love God is, is seen and is measured by the way we love one another. Here's a, here's a crazy take from Nehemiah chapter five about this famine. Nehemiah calls a come to Jesus meeting He's like, listen, stop charging interest on each other and hurting each other. Remember, we're all Jews. We're all in this together. When we got to stick together to get through this famine. That was in chapter five. Eight more chapters of the book of Nehemiah, the famine is never mentioned again. The way that the, that the people of Israel responded to caring for one another silenced the threat of the famine in the land. So I'm, I'm not saying the things in this world aren't going to get tough. I'm just saying if we stick together, we will have uncommon peace, uncommon joy, uncommon hope because we care for each other in an uncommon way. All right, here's the third, the third famine story we find in the New Testament. This is another, I didn't even remember reading this. I've probably read the book of Acts 20 times in my life, you know, on and off over the years. I'm pretty familiar with the book of Acts. I totally forgot this story from Acts chapter 11. In these days, the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was a prophet named Agabus, and he stood up and he foretold from the Holy Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And Luke records, by the way, this happened during Claudius' time, his reign. Verse 28. So when the disciples heard about this incoming, in, in, impending famine, everyone, according to their ability, sent relief to the brothers living in Judea. So the famine's coming to the whole world, and instead of giving into fear, and instead of hoarding everything for themselves, they took up a love offering, and it's like, we want to send money back to the Jews living in Israel. Their first thought wasn't themselves. Their first thought was, I wonder how the Jews are doing back in Israel. We better send some money to be a blessing. Because remember, it was the Jewish people that sent the gospel to the nations, so they were grateful that the gospel had come to them. So the first famine was about Isaac 
making a business decision and planting seed for his future. That's not necessarily about giving a seed of generosity. He was investing in his own future. The second story was about Nehemiah calling the people of Israel to community, to family, to relationship, to protecting each other. But this is different. Famine's coming. Let's be generous. And even in this one portion from Acts chapter 11, there's three things that we can learn. The first is this. It's likely that the famine had already hit the land of Israel. So the way that the church responded was compassion. It's this noble, hey, if they're already hungry and we're not yet, let's send some money their way to bless them. So in tough times, we, we should be compassionate to others that are going through a difficult season. But here's the second takeaway. God told Abraham that when he was creating the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his 12 sons, creating the nation of Israel, whoever blesses the nation of Israel, God said, I will bless. Whoever curses the nation of Israel, God said, I will curse. Fast forward to the New Testament. The apostle Paul said that there is a blessing for the Gentile church if they will bless the Jewish believers living in Israel. So their response was, if you're going through a famine and we want God to bless us, let's bless God's people in any way that we can. Years ago, and I, it was before we bought this building. By the way, next weekend is the five-year anniversary of our church here in this building. Wouldn't it, 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 it woo-woo. It, it won't be done in a week, but wouldn't it be nice if it was done in a week and next week we, we rededicate and blah, 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 but that's impossible. Um, before we moved into that building, our church was down to its last $500. Um, I think Danielle Carrico was the uh, uh, administrator at that time, and she came to Josie and I with that look on her face like, we, 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 the budget still needs this much money to get to the end of the month. We have $500. So we prayed, I, I remember it clearly. It was in our office there at the Timberline building in Grapevine. And I said, how much is left? She said, about $500. I said, let's give it all away. And let's give it to the nation of Israel. And we gave it to a ministry in Israel. We went online and gave a donation. So then we're down to $0. And the church still needs thousands of dollars to get to the end of the month. Over the next two weeks, the offering, the way that you guys were generous. And if I recall, we didn't even tell you the budget was completely met by the end of the month. You bless Israel, God's gonna bless you. Here's a third takeaway. And it ties into a similar thought. The church in Antioch was so grateful to the Jewish people for leaving Israel and bringing the gospel message about Jesus to the Gentile world. So they wanted to give a gift to honor the Jewish leaders that kicked off their faith. Sometimes when you're in a pinch, the best thing you can do is to give a gift of honor to somebody that you honor in your life. Because honor is a benchmark of the kingdom of God. So when you're in a time of famine, when the, when the famine is facing the whole world in Nehemiah's day, and then we never heard it about it again, the same thing happened in Acts chapter 11. Agabus says a famine's coming to the whole world. The church in Antioch gives this generous gift either out of compassion or out of blessing the nation of Israel or out of honor to the nation of Israel, and you never hear about the famine for the whole rest of the book of Acts. A gift of compassion, a gift to bless Israel, and a gift in honor will stop a famine from coming to your house. So being generous financially is a demonstration to God. I am a person of faith, and I trust you, Lord, that you will provide, and I am not the person that provides for all of my needs. We will not bow our knee to financial fear no matter what happens. We will be generous. We will take a step of faith, and we will be a blessing to others. Now, let me also say this. It's not always a financial gift. You are a hope dealer in a world that is hopeless. So when the world is freaking out, we have uncommon peace. We have uncommon joy. We have uncommon hope when the world is hopeless. When gas hits $10 a gallon, we're like, woohoo, 
I'm so excited because Jesus is king of my heart. We will not give in to fear and we will not, even if you do save up some money and there are massive food shortages and you have gone a month of, of, of very carefully managing rice and beans and tuna fish, your hope is still in Jesus. You're never gonna, so every room you walk into is hopeless. You are a hope bringer. And you're like, you, you walk into the most difficult times in whatever the world throws at us and there's a smile on your face and you, you are a, a dealer of hope and joy into whatever room you walk into. And I'll say this, when others complain, we will not complain. We will not complain at Kroger. We will not complain at the gas pump. We will not complain on social media. We're always gonna smile and point to Jesus and say, God is good. My hope is in him. My peace is in him. So just to recap the three responses we're going to invest in our personal futures. We're going to sow seeds of faith and believe God for a hundredfold harvest for our future. We're going to invest in relationships, in our personal family relationships and in our church relationships. In the end times, whatever happens, we're going to need one another. When there's a flock of sheep, the sheep on the outside get eaten first. So just bury yourself in the flock of sheep. Let somebody else get eaten. You had your chance to get plugged into the church. Not my problem. I'm in the middle of the flock. I got other people protecting me. You chose to just watch online and come once a month. That's, that's your bad. Man, he is fired up today, isn't he? Somebody, somebody's like, Pastor, do you ever feel bad for talking like that? No. Because if the, if the end times poo hits the end times fan, there's going to be a lot of Christians that are freaking out. You, our uncommon church, you're going to be just fine. Because somebody talked real to you. I know, but you sometimes hurt my feelings and step on my toes. I know, but every time I do, your toes get stronger to stand. The third thing we learn is to be generous to others. We would be generous to Israel, and we, we'd be generous to those that we honor. Hop up on your feet. As a child of God, you have a loving father. You're not an orphan. You're never alone. My kids are spread all over the world, but I always know where my kids are, thanks to the Apple Find Me thing. And don't you dare think that even when I'm in Israel or when I'm in India or when I'm in Iraqistan, that I don't pull out that app and I check where my kids are every day. You're never alone. Your father knows where you are. and He doesn't need an app to show your position. My daughter-in-law has not accepted my request to know where her location is yet. Just throwing that out there. You have a loving father that's going to protect and he's going to provide for you. But we have to keep our focus on him. We can't put our focus on the economy. We can't put our focus on the problems in this world. We focus on the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter seven. Here's a famous verse that applies to the church. If my people, you are God's people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, they'll pray and seek my face, they'll turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. God is not talking about unbelievers in the world. He said, if the people of God would humble themselves before me, if the people of God would fix their attention on me, if the people of God would repent of their sin, if the people of God would learn to pray and seek God's face, I'll heal Euless. I'll heal Bedford. I'll heal Hearst and Colleyville and Grapevine. And some of y'all be driving from like Keller and North Fort Worth and Justin. I'll heal your land. We can be a blessing to DFW on how well we handle a crisis. We can point people to Jesus because we respond with faith and do not give in to fear. Other people are gonna put their faith in Jesus because of how well you handle crisis. 
So this stuff matters for you, for your peace, for your family, and for your neighbors. Your neighbors might go to heaven because of how well you handle whatever crazy bananas thing happens tomorrow. If you're here this morning and you're watching online, online people tuned off like 20 minutes ago. They're like, you were mean to us three times. We're not watching to the end of this service. I love you online people. It's time to come back to church. COVID's over. You were so quiet to amen when I said COVID's over because you thought you'd get sued by the COVID police. Go to the Tarrant County Health Department website. I, I, just look at the statistics. Look at the data. Don't trust a preacher. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Go look at the stats. COVID's over. No, no, no. I, the, the Kincaids got COVID two months ago. I, okay. I didn't say it was like, I just statistically it's over. How about that? What was I saying? Oh, you need to get right with Jesus. If you're watching online or you're here this morning, everything is predicated on faith. They had to rebuild the last couple of feet of the stage. My faith right now is that the guy that put the two by four and the two by six and ran the screws and the studs and the cross members and the plywood, my faith is that he did a good job and I don't, I'm not gonna break my leg. He did a good job. <laughs> Do you have that much faith that Jesus loves you and he took your sin to the cross and is willing to remove it and give you eternal life? We all put our faith in something. Put your faith in Jesus because he's the only rock, he's the only hope, he's the only joy that we have for uncertain times that are coming in the future. I love that we complain about gas prices. Now, why don't you just celebrate that you have a car to put overpriced gas in? How about that? Can I get an amen? Thanksgiving. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Thank you that I have a heart to be broken. <laughs> Thanks, God. Thanks that I have a checking account to be empty. <laughs> Thanks, God. Thank you, Lord, that I have a, a church. Thank you, Lord, that I have brothers and sisters in faith that will surround me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord that I have a Bible in English that I can read or Spanish or whatever your first love language is of your heart. Please, I'm, I'm begging you, read your Bible, study your Bible, cover to cover. You've got to know what the Bible says. You can't be Bible illiterate. I won't allow it. That is your homework, is to fall in love with the Word of God. It is a bedrock that will transform your life. All right, let's pray. If you're here this morning and you're not right with the Lord, today is your day to get right with God. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to forgive us of our sin. He's going to wash us and cleanse us. He's going to take us from being an orphan to a child of the Most High God. We're about to be adopted into the family of God. If you've never prayed that prayer, today is your day. If you prayed that prayer years ago and you've allowed sin back into your life, your heart to grow cold, you're distant from God, that's okay. God's not mad at you. He loves you and He wants to bring you right back into the family of God. Today is your day to pray and ask God to forgive you. Whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, this prayer is for you. And we're all going to pray it together. You're not alone in this prayer. I would like to know who I'm praying for. If you're here this morning, or even if you're watching at home by yourself online, and you want to pray that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand up real high and just say, Preacher, pray for me. Today's my day to get right with God. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to forgive me of my sin. Is anybody here this morning? I see one hand over there. Is there anybody else? I see one a second hand over there. Is there anybody else? Come on, somebody. Good. What about you that are watching online? Two people raised their hand and said, I'm going to pray that prayer and get right with God today. 
It just, I know I can't see you, but God does. He sees you right there in your living room, right there in your bedroom, tears running down your face. Raise your hand before God and let's all pray this prayer together. If you believe this in your heart, I can't pray it for you. I can lead you, but I can't pray it for you. It's your prayer. If you believe this in your heart, why don't we all pray this together? Say, dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I repent. I turn my back on sin and I surrender my life to you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Teach me to be a person of faith, a person of generosity, a person of community. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Can I hear a shout for joy for the two people that gave their heart to Jesus? Come on, somebody. So proud of you.